I'm Justin Harmon, and this episode of Let's Talk Jackson is sponsored by Mississippi Federal Credit Union. For Let's Talk Jackson, I'm Todd Stauffer. My guest this episode is Dr. Joy Hogue, the executive director of Families as Allies, a nonprofit organization based here in Jackson. Joy Hogue has a master's degree and a Ph.D. in counseling psychology from Texas A&M University. She's been the executive director of Families as Allies since 2011, where she oversees the development, implementation, and assessment of family-driven, community-based services that support children with mental health challenges and their families. Here's my conversation with Joy. So tell me about Families as Allies. I would love to tell you about Families as Allies. We are a statewide organization run by and for families of children with behavioral health challenges. So that means all of our staff and most of our board members have raised or are raising a child with some sort of behavioral health challenge. And we come together as families and we support each other in a lot of different ways. And then at the systems level, we work together to make things, make sure that things are better for our children. And in a practical sense, I mean, it's, it's an interesting name yes. for an organization. Um, in a practical sense, what does it mean? Like, what do we actually do yeah, over there? Do, yeah. I know. Day in, day always, out. Yeah, yeah, people are always asking me that. Like, we really like you, but what do y'all do over there? Okay, well, I think that whole idea that we're all allies for each other and with each other, mm-hmm. and it really, really doesn't matter what path you came to, if your child has kind of a traditional mental health problem like bipolar disorder or ADHD, or maybe they've been through some sort of trauma, or another thing that we're really interested in is um, children who have special health care needs and just the psychological stress of that. So there's a lot of different ways people get to us. So the ways we support each other are really just coming together, and um, we have a lot of support activities for families. We do a lot of helping families find the resources they need and understanding their rights, a lot of training with families. And then we also do a lot of work with the people working with families so they can learn the best ways to partner with them and also so they can learn about the rights of families in different systems and help them in accessing those. And then at that broader kind of infrastructure level, bringing all those people together to look at what do the policies need to be in our state so as many children as possible can be successful in school, that they can get the mental health care they need as early as possible and preferably for it to be as brief as possible so that because they are to the point where they need to be and can move on, what do we need to do early on so there's fewer children who end up in the child welfare system and the juvenile justice system. So things like that. And I've heard you say that the the notion is that the family really is expert in terms of how their child needs to interact with systems or needs to deal with school and things like that. What, is, what does that mean? Absolutely. Yeah. We talk a lot about, we have three core beliefs. One, that families know their child better than anyone. They're their child's best advocate. And that systems should follow laws and policies about families and children's rights. So no matter whether families know a bunch of details about these systems and these different laws and different policies, they know their child better than anyone. So they have a sense of what their child needs and what it will help their child to succeed. We talk about the families driving the car. They know where they want that child to end up. And it's usually really practical places like, I want my child to graduate from high school. I want them to get through this year. So they know that about their child and they know what their child's strengths are. They know what their, you know, what their family can bring to the table. And we 
we don't want that part left out. They're the only one who knows the child that well. And they're the one who's going to be there when all, it doesn't matter how wonderful all the help is out there. And we're very grateful for wonderful help, but that's, that's going to end at some point. At some point it is, but that, that family is never going to go away. They're the one who is always going to be there for that child. And then ultimately they need to know what letter to write right, or right, what form to right, fill out. Right, that. exactly. So if you support, if we support them in understanding that, and we all know what it's like. I, I often say that the reason I got this job is because I know what it's like to, and I'm not saying this is funny, but just thinking back on it, I know what it's like to sit in a school parking lot and be too scared to go in mm-hmm. to a meeting about my child. So to help people, families feel in that moment that, yeah, you do. And and you got this and we got your back. So speaking of uh, parking lots and the yes. lack thereof during COVID and the pandemic, um, I know you've had to make a lot of changes in the way that you interact with families. And families have to deal with a whole set of schools not happening in person kind yes. of problems. What's going on out there for for families in you know in Metro Jackson? Oh my goodness, it has just been absolutely wild, and I think there have been so many different phases and feelings and things that families have gone through. I think first of all, just that basic safety issue, but now um, since JPS has been virtual mm-hmm. this semester. You know, that whole thing of families not exactly knowing how to teach their child or maybe not being able to be home with them because they still have to work and still have to do those things. And there are some good things happening with supporting families who are dealing with those issues, but there's still so much more. And then one thing we're really hearing a lot about is um, if a child does have a mental health challenge or um, some other sort of disability, it's hard enough in person to make sure that children are being accommodated mm, in the way they right. need so that they they can learn with their disability. But to do that virtually and to try to figure that out, that has been one of the biggest challenges because it's hard for any child to be doing, you know, their work on Zoom or a computer or whatever for several hours at a time. And if you have a disability, especially something like ADHD, that just adds all kinds of things into the picture. And then it's the family sitting there with that child, not that teacher who you know has special training in accommodations. Well, so and there's been, it seems like at least, even on the national level, kind of a, you know, a, a, a institutional creeping in on, on the pandemic where you kind of go, well, maybe we can't provide every service yes. because we're so challenged anyway, right? Yes, yes. And, um, but... And everybody needs to be really aware of this. The laws about children um, who receive special education services under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, that didn't change. And there was a lot of push to change that law at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That didn't come from parents. That came from like national school board associations and national superintendent associations. But... It was families who pushed back, and none of that changed. So the fact that a child who has a disability under the law needs to be accommodated, has the right to accommodation so that they can learn, that didn't change. But figuring out how to do that has been a big, big, big challenge. Well, and I know that um, shifting gears a little bit, locally here you were involved, at least you can tell me on what level, but uh, working together, Jackson, the city of Jackson announced recently the warm line. Yes. And so tell us what that is. We are so excited. Working together, Jackson, is um, they have a much 
the warm line is one part of a much bigger project to make sure that children in Jackson have what they need to be able to learn. And it does include things like making sure they have iPads and, you know, the things they need to be able to learn remotely and that there's different remote sites that can support families who are not able to be with them during the day. But the part that we're most involved with and we are so excited about is contact the crisis line is now managing a mental health warm line for families who are dealing with all this stuff and looking for resources. And so that's a kind of a one-stop shop place where families can call. And even if it's just to have someone to talk to about what a difficult day it's been, they can call there. Well, that's what I was trying to sort of intuit what warm line means versus a hotline. Yeah. Like a hotline is you've got an emergency. Right, right. It's not, yeah. And um, Heinz Behavioral Health actually has a crisis line. And if you are sitting there with your child thinking, oh, my goodness, like they're threatening to hurt themselves or I think, you know, he could hurt someone else. I don't know what's going on. Call that number. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, I do not have that number in front of me. Put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, do that. (laughs) But then this is more of a warm line to support families. So it's a place families can call and then... If they just need someone to talk to. And then also, they are putting together a list of mental health resources in Jackson. And that might sound like an easy task, but it's not. Because Mm -hmm. we we do have a lot, a lot of mental health providers and nonprofits that work in the area of mental health. And some of them are doing some things that only they are doing. And not everybody knows about what everybody else is doing. So I would encourage families to call that line. I would also encourage every mental health provider in the Jackson area who is listening to this, and we've been trying to get this word out, to call, contact the crisis line yourself and say, this is how we can help. This is what we can do. If you, Especially if you have some sort of specific program or service that is for families in the Jackson area as they're coping with the pandemic. I'm here with Justin Harmon from Mississippi Federal Credit Union, sponsor of Let's Talk Jackson. If somebody wanted to get started and just wanted like a bank account or a savings account, is can they do that? They can, actually. That one-page membership application that they fill out, two forms of identification, $5 opens your account. And we have two checking accounts that we really want people to listen and focus on. One is Green Plus. Green Plus checking is free. There's no minimum, no service charges with that. But, oh, by the way, every time you use it, we're going to give you cash back. So, and that cash back is unlimited. It's five cents every time you swipe your debit card. We also have another one called Premier Checking. And Premier Checking is for those that want to earn a little bit more on their checking account. So they can earn up to 3% interest, up to $10,000. So we do require a couple of little things with that one, but come on in, we'd love to tell you about it. So what branch should they go to if they're here in Jackson? We have a branch located on the campus of University of Mississippi Medical Center. It's on Alumni Drive, right behind the student union, adjacent to Ronald McDonald House. That's Mississippi Federal Credit Union, proud sponsor of Let's Talk Jackson. Let's get back to the show. Well, and it's funny that you brought up the the providers, because I do know that one of the tenets of, of what y'all do is is working with providers. Yes. What is it that you, that you if you back up and just, you know, the family's mission, what is it that you do for providers that's different than when you're working with families? The biggest thing we do with providers, and um, one thing about working with families, we're always working with families, and all this that I'm talking about, like if we do a provider training 
any family is welcome to come because okay. that's one thing we think is really important is family should be at everything. Mm-hmm. And that also starts bringing about this certain honesty and collaboration that's not possible otherwise. But the two primary ways that we work with providers, one well, one is training. And that training um, typically focuses on what we call family-driven practice, which is how do you partner with families in a meaningful way? And what does it mean to focus on family strengths? And how do you do this work? How do you support them in being the expert on their own child? And how do you support yourself as you make that transition? I happen to be a psychologist, and I did that long before I got involved in this work, long before I had my child. Um, And I know how hard that is because it's about giving up control. Mm. But it's a much more effective model. And then we also do a lot of training with providers on helping them understand families' rights in different systems, particularly the education system. Because sometimes people think the things that happen with special education like are shrouded in some great mystery and you have to have this absolute guru to help you understand them. And that's not really true. Laws in special ed- education are really pretty straightforward about families' rights and um what remedies are available to them. So if someone already working with them understands that and can give them, you know, the basic starting guidance, that's great. And then that means that they can help a lot of other families too. Sometimes people feel like they always have to call a place, and they can always call us, but sometimes they feel like they have to refer every family who has a problem with the school to a place like Families as Allies. And there's really some simple things they can do themselves. And then we also along those lines, provide technical assistance. When a provider calls us and says, I'm trying to do that stuff you trained me to do, but I got confused about this part. Of course, we're going to help them. Mm -hmm. And then partner with them on planning programs and stuff to make sure that families from, from the very beginning are at the table helping plan. We get a lot of calls from providers about they have this great program they developed and nobody's coming to it, and can we get the families to come? And one thing we always talk to them about is, well, did you have the families help you plan the program? Because maybe they didn't want it. You know, and not to be mean, and we'll still try to help you have a successful program, but to start thinking like that. Well, and it is really interesting, because you you have to imagine you've got people who have all of this schooling and all Mm -hmm. this training and all this knowledge, and they want to bring that expertise. And in this particular instance, you have a family that may not have that training right. and knowledge and hasn't spent that, that oh, much time don't. in that institution, but yet they're the ones who ultimately need to make really informed right. decisions. Exactly. And it's their responsibility and it's their right. Right, yeah. right. And it's it's interesting too. I know that that you you look at that from the provider standpoint. You also look at that from a from a policymaking and a legislative standpoint, right? So Absolutely. you want legislators to hear from families. Absolutely. So we do a lot of leadership training with families so that they know how to serve on policy committees, so they know how to approach legislators and other policymakers so they can make public comments because we feel like that's really important. Um, and then we, as an organization, provide technical assistance to policymakers we do a lot of gathering data from families about system the systems in Mississippi, particularly unmet needs. Like right now we're doing some, um, we're partnering with um, Mississippi Thrive, which is a provider and research group, to look at early childhood and what families of young children want and need. So those are all ways that we partner at that level. And then um, typically after we gather that data, we'll issue some sort of policy brief. And then we also follow 
legislation and lawsuits in the state that are relevant to our mission to support them and going in a direction that's going to have, that's going to be most driven by the people receiving services and their families. So it's, uh, and, and that's a good segue for this, for this next conversation. It, it's dramatic because you can say U.S. versus Mississippi. <laughs> there, that is going on. <laughs> there is a huge lawsuit that, there is. that has been decided and now is kind of in these, in their, and they have to pass the legislation to, to meet the demands of that legislation. Can you encapsulate that just in a nutshell? What was that and what is it? Oh my goodness, a whole bunch of stuff happened. So in 2011, there were findings issued about the state of Mississippi that we over rely on institutions because we don't have enough of the right kinds of services and supports in the community for people with mental illness. And at that time, those findings included about children. So then a whole, whole, whole lot of things happened. The United States Department of Justice ended up suing Mississippi over that. At that time, the lawsuit just included adults because there were supposed to be some things in place that would address the children's issues those didn't get addressed, but mm. the children's part got dropped. And then the state lost that lawsuit in June of, or September of 2019. Mm. So now both sides are supposed to be crafting a remedy with the help of a special master who was appointed by the judge, Judge Carlton Reeves. Now, we had hoped for there to be a lot, the, the possibility of input. Because, again, the people, and, I mean, I know all the people on all sides, they're nice people, but none of them, as far as I know, are people receiving services in Mississippi. So you have all these lawyers in a room with someone who is a very good mental health expert trying to figure out what should happen next. But where does the voice come from of the people receiving services? So that's a concern. And also that information is not really being shared because of whenever that's attempted, the state goes back to court and tries to prevent that from happening. And so far that's been pretty successful. So um, there's that. I hope that once the remedy, if there is a remedy, that there will be the possibility of public input at that point. And then a parallel thing that happened, and I really appreciate Senator Hobb Ryan for this, This past session, there was legislation created to create, and it passed, this coordinator of mental health accessibility who's supposed to be looking at the whole system, and I'm assuming that will include the children's parts, to see what needs to happen in our whole mental health system to make it work better. That person was appointed. It's Bill Rosamond, and we are wishing him well and looking forward to looking working with him. We did have some concerns because he was actually one of the lawyers who was defending the state or advising the state, including in that lawsuit. So, you know, as far as the objectivity, it'll be, he will have some significant challenges, but that may work out fine. We just don't know. What ultimately would, you know, accessible mental health care look like, or what would it look more like? in the state of Mississippi than it does now. Okay. We would have less reliance on institutions. Mississippi, if you look both for um, people with developmental or intellectual disabilities and people with mental illness, we have 12 state-run facilities for people with mental illness and people with developmental intellectual and developmental disabilities. Arkansas has like two or three, and they're the same size, same population. So we, and Georgia has fewer than we do, and they have over three times the population. So there would be fewer of those. And then it, 
it wouldn't just be, and I think people get confused about this, that those services get transferred to the community. The services would be much more focused on what does it take from the very beginning to help someone live in the community. So it wouldn't be just like, okay, you have a mental health problem. You go over here and you get some medicine and maybe you get some vocational counseling. But moving much towards, more towards what does it help you to act, what would help you to actually live in the community? Like things like supported employment, helping that person from the very beginning get a job if that's what they want, supported housing to live in the community, but where they're getting the help they need, whether it's learning how to go to the grocery store or having someone check on them, services that come to them instead of them having to go to a mental health center, things like, and we do have some of those teams in Mississippi, things like that. And also, there's a lot of separateness about our mental health system. Like Mississippi's one of the few states that has a separate department of mental health that's its own thing. It's usually integrated into something else. Mm-hmm. The more mental health can be integrated into other things, the more like primary care providers, visit, um, like on the children's side, pediatricians, nurse practitioners, family practitioners who are seeing children, the more support they get. From the very beginning, when children are just starting to have problems, so that it, there can be intervention then, and they can get the help they need and get on the right trajectory. So, chil- so children and adults aren't getting to the point where they even need those higher end services. So it's not in a, uh, the word might not be normalized, but but somehow bringing it mainstreaming. Some it's of more this care. integrated. Yeah, okay. integrated, and it's just part of what happens. We talk about children should get mental health services where they already are. And the big thing there is um, wherever they get their primary care, like their pediatrician, nurse practitioner, the health department, and school. And then like at school, mental health services that aren't about like going and taking some child out of class and counseling them because there isn't really a lot of evidence that helps. In fact, that kind of approach usually makes things worse because that child's using that, losing that learning time. But things like going in and really helping that teacher in the classroom or working with that child in the classroom without everybody knowing why they're getting worked with so that they can learn to do that work in that classroom. Again, that's a normal outcome, being able to do their work so that the mental health intervention is focused on that and also supporting that teacher in knowing ways to go about that so that then that teacher can use it with other children. Mm-hmm. It's just integrated into what we're already doing. Well, and you, you even kind of have to imagine that there's that there's a spectrum of Absolutely. everyone could use a little bit of mental yes. health care. Yes, if, if you're that's another to, you know. thing. If you have like well-trained mental health providers, say in a classroom, um, then it's not just that child that benefits. All the other children benefit. And then it can be much more coordinated with what should be happening in the schools anyway to accommodate children with disabilities, like on the special education side or even on the regular education side. So it it just all works better together. But right now we have a lot of siloing, both Mm -hmm. in institutions and within the community. So you were talking before about a a child being able to sort of go through their pediatrician Mm -hmm. to get some mental health care. That's what Champ is, right? So tell tell me about Champ. Champ is one of the best things ever. That's a project at UMC that started probably a couple years ago. And it is, the funding went through the Department of Mental Health and then goes to UMC. And they have set up this telehealth 
consultation line. And right now it's a telephone line, which I think in a lot of ways works better than some fancy telehealth thing. And any pediatrician, family doctor, nurse practitioner in Mississippi who has a child in their office with a mental health challenge who would like to consult in real time with a child psychiatrist, child psychologist, or just someone who can help them find resources or even um, help them get the kind of resources that we help families with, can call this number for free and get help in real time, get a consultation with a psychiatrist, child psychiatrist, child psychologist, or um, someone who can help with more resources or with family support, and hopefully be able to help that child so that they don't need a higher end services. Because a lot of times, you know, like 20 years ago, the thinking was, oh, if this child has a mental health problem, they need to go to a child psychiatrist for a complete assessment. We will never, even if like we got a billion dollars and all these good things happen, we would never, ever have enough child psychiatrists to do that. But we don't really need, and we do need more child psychiatrists, but we really don't need that level of intervention. That child psychiatrist can help that pediatrician or nurse practitioner figure out on the phone some good interventions to start with and support them so that that child doesn't need that more significant intervention. And that also means that that nurse practitioner or child or pediatrician will know about that for their next, the next child they see too. And then CHAMP also does training. And I was really excited. I got to help with the last one. It was a great webinar on ADHD. They have a consultation corner where any doctor or nurse practitioner um, who's working with children in Mississippi can call in and just ask questions. It's great. It's wonderful. I cannot get it to come off the top of my head, but CHAMP stands for... Oh, goodness. Child <laughs> Access. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Healthcare Mental prof- Professionals. So yeah, or, and put probably psychiatry is in yeah. there, too. And they've got a website and, with, yeah. and, and, the, yeah. and the phone number. But, yeah. but this idea, I think, is that... You know, you already are going to this pediatrician or nurse practitioner. You're comfortable with that person. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, I think about when my child, my child had to go through, um, he's 20 now, but when he was really little, he has special health care needs. He went through this clinical trial that ended up just being terribly traumatic for all of us because he had a life-threatening condition. And I just think back to how awful that was. And I wish there would have been a program like CHAMP that his primary care, well, actually his primary specialist could have called and and they were great and they really helped us, but could have called and, you know, gotten some more information about how to support a family and a child especially, but our whole family was traumatized. And there was no way. We were so worn out by that and we had been going and going, you know, to another state for this treatment. There was no way we were going to go to someone else to get help with how traumatized we all were. But if the people who we already loved here, and they weren't, that wasn't where he was in the clinical trial, who we already trusted, if they could have gotten even a little bit more help, and they were supportive, but a little bit more help to understand what was happening to us and to my child, I just, I can't imagine how much better that would have been. Well, and and that's, you know, you're in Jackson, yeah. Mississippi. So people who are in the Delta or in, you know, rural parts of the state, 
and they need access to this kind of care. That's kind of it's it's might be a lifeline for them. Absolutely, right? absolutely. I just think, and then I think it would decrease waiting lists. I I just think all kinds of good stuff would happen. But I cannot say I like all the groups we work with and all the projects we get to work on. But Champ is something that I just can't stay quiet about. It is so wonderful to see. So tell me, switch gears a little bit, what does 2021 look like for Families as Allies? What's coming up? Wow. Well, we are assuming that we will continue to do a lot virtually. So we have, um, we converted everything that we do to a virtual format. So we continue with that. And we do have... um, during the pandemic, we started a virtual support group that's called, un- and they named themselves Unmuted Parents. <laughs> I just thought that was pretty. I just think that speaks volumes. Yeah. And if you feel like you're one of those unmuted parents or you want to be an unmuted parent, we'll be your squad and we got your back. So I hope to see that kind of thing grow. I think we want to look at some of the things I talked about with the lawsuit, the mental health coordinator, to make sure in our partnerships, working with other organizations that Families and people receiving services are at the table throughout all these reforms because we are on the brink of some really, really great possibilities for true reform. But if that doesn't happen, it's just going to be a bunch more window dressing. And our windows are already well, (laughs) well, well too dressed in Mississippi. And then we do a lot of work with the mental health system, the healthcare system, and we're very grateful to the Mississippi Department of Health for some of those Um, opportunities in that system. We do a lot in education, but also looking at what can we do more to support families who are um, encountering these types of issues in the child welfare system and the juvenile justice system. Mm. So I would say those are some of the biggest things we're looking at in 2021. Well, it's, you know, if I got on a soapbox, this is kind of little D democracy. This is civic engagement. This is, you know, these people who have a, you know, and their families have a strong desire to get involved because Mm -hmm. of the challenges that they face. But at the same time, it's not really just charity work. I mean, this is getting in and digging in oh, and, yeah. and getting systems to change. Right. And, and, and right. And when we and, say our mission um, is that families are partners in their children's care, sometimes people think that means we go around making families do stuff. That's not what that means. What we mean is that Mississippi's system of care for children will be family driven so that families will be guiding and driving what happens in those systems. And, and we mean both the parents or whoever's raising that child and the youth and those children who can, you know, to the point where they can give input themselves. That's what we mean. So what we're talking about are changing systems. And yes, that includes supporting families. But we're talking about changing systems so that they're responsive to what families and children really need. So how does a family get in touch with you all? They can just call us. 601-355-0915. They can go to our website www.faams.org. And we, um, a lot of what we do, we, well, we put out a lot on Facebook and we have a newsletter. And I always say our newsletter, it's not about us taking pictures of what we did last week. It's about what we most think you might need to know this week to support your child or to support families. So it's called The Ally and you can sign up for that under the there's the news tab at the top of our website. You can go down and subscribe to the Allies. So we encourage people to do that. 
And those are the primary ways. I want to thank Dr. Joy Hogue for joining us on this program. A link to the website for Families as Allies, as well as the CHAMP program that she discussed, can be found in the show notes. And you can find more information on this and other episodes of Let's Talk Jackson at letstalkjackson.com, as well as on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Let's Talk Jackson is powered by the Jackson Free Press and sponsored by Mississippi Federal Credit Union. This episode was edited by Courtney Moncure. Our executive producers are Donna Ladd and Bo York. For Let's Talk Jackson, I'm Todd Stoffer.